0: can we pray together father we thank you for this day a time where we can allow your scripture to speak to us let that be uh, the experience of your people let everyone that's here uh, be able to hear from you because you are already present and you've already allowed your word uh, to be our guide now let us learn from it remove me that you might be exalted lord it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This week celebrates uh, 50 years of Dr. Martin Luther King's legacy. 50 years since uh, he passed on. And Towson University, uh, they helped gauge a small aspect of Dr. Martin Luther King's impact. In 1994, uh, Congress designated that Martin Luther King Day. Uh, there'd be a Martin Luther King Day of service, a day for community activism. So on this day, people all over the nation would get together and they would go serve and they would give up their time. They would give up their energy in a volunteer capacity. When this study was conducted, a value of the, a person's time in Maryland was considered worth twenty five dollars and forty three cents. So each hour given of volunteering was worth about 25 bucks. Dr. King inspired millions of people. And if they just gauge this one day of serving, they have added up that over a billion dollars has been given through people serving. It's a pretty big impact. As great as Dr. King's legacy was, Some people take living out Dr. King's legacy more serious than living out the legacy that Christ has given us. Hear me here. I'm not trying to put down Dr. King. I want us to be vigilant about injustice. I want us to be passionate about bridging the great divide between races and the divide between economic issues. But we must make sure that we are living out of the resurrection and living out of what Jesus has accomplished and that being our primary goal as believers. And so as so many people have served as a result of Dr. King, I want us to take a moment to say, Lord, what is it that you would have for us to do as a result of the resurrection? There's a legacy that you left for us that you call us to live out. As a result of the resurrection, I think God's word is pretty clear on that. So would you turn with me to Luke chapter 24? And we're going to look at verses 13 through 35. Those verses will be up here, but it's going to be good for you to have your word with you today, because if you got that program when you came in, put the program right in chapter 24, because we're going to be flipping around Luke a little bit and you can always come right back there. Luke chapter 24, we're going to start at verse 13. And it reads, that very day, two of them, and I'm sorry, I hear some people flipping. If you have the black Bible, what page is that? 885. 885. And if you have the white Bible, what page is that? 575. 575. Okay. So that'll get us all there. Verse 13, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. To Jerusalem, who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Three quick points. They didn't understand who Jesus was. They didn't recognize him. This isn't a sin that they've caused. It's not something that's wrong. Jesus actually is going to use this whole experience to teach them that he's the one that fulfills all the prophecies. But at this moment, they don't know who he is. So they don't know who he is, but also we don't know who they are. I mean, they are a part of the of the 70 that we see back in Luke 10. Remember when Jesus kind of sends out a crew and he sends them out two by two, kind of telling them the harvest is plenty, you know, go. So they're they're a part of a bigger disciple group. But we don't know who these guys are. I mean, this is the only place where Cleopas is mentioned. And the other guy's name is what? It's not mentioned. We don't even know his name. So so we got two guys here who, for the most part, we have no idea who they are, but we know that they were down with Christ. We know that much. And that they were a part of the crew that faithfully went out, but they don't know who this Jesus is. They don't recognize him as Jesus. Verse 19. And he said to them, what things? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified. So now they kind of are saying, wait a minute, dude, we don't know who you are, but you don't have Facebook. You, You didn't get the message in your timeline of what just went down. Are you even living? That would be pretty much what they're saying, because how do you not know what just took place in Jerusalem? Whether you were a part of the crowd that was screaming, crucify him, or you were part of the family who was crying and couldn't believe this had just happened to your loved one. If you were living, you knew what just took place. And you are in the dark You don't know anything about the man that was a prophet who came in word and deed. And back then, a a prophet was was not just somebody who was cool with words. A prophet was someone who it was clearly evidenced that God had your back. And the best way that you knew God had someone's back was by them performing miracles, performing miracles. Look with me. Keep that finger in 24 All right, look with me in Luke 7. Luke 7, we've got Jesus rose up on the scene. And there's a a, a son that has died. And there's a mom who's a widow and her son has passed away. and, And Jesus heals him. And in 17 verse 16, it says this. It says, fear sees them all. They glorified God saying, a great prophet has risen among us and God has visited the people. If you go down a little bit more, there's another parable where where Jesus is in the midst of some Pharisees. And the Pharisees kind of say in verse 39, they're like, hey, Jesus is hanging out with this woman. But he don't know her background. He don't know how jacked up her history is. And if he was a real prophet, he would know who he's dealing with. Kind of like if you if you got the touch of God on you, you should be able to see into a person's past. You should be able to know what they've been through. If you're a real prophet, see the sign of a prophet was his wonders, the miracles. But Jesus even says of himself, I'm a prophet in chapter four. He says in 424, truly I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. So now you get this case of, of, man, dude, we don't really know who you are. We're not seeing you, but we do know that this prophet was killed. He performed signs. He performed miracles and they crucified him. Verse 21 but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem israel yes and besides all this it is now the third day since these things have happened G, gk chesterton says it like this he says he says hope means hoping when things hope means hoping when things are hopeless or it is not a virtue at all as long as matters are really hopeful Hope is mere flattery or a platitude. It's only when everything is hopeless that hope begins to have strength. Or as Claire Booth Luce said it, she said it like this. She says, "There are no hopeless situations. There are only people who have grown hopeless about them." You see these 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 brothers are now in the midst of a situation where They were believing for a long time everything Jesus said. They were believing that, yes, he's going to conquer death. And actually, what he's really going to conquer is this Roman authority. They were believing that now, finally, some who were oppressed was going to be some that had power. They were believing that that there was a a, a, an expectation that they would actually be able to rule. We get that every time we get a new president, don't we? Don't we? I remember one of my brothers like, hey, Obama in office. We're going to get reparations now. I did laugh. I laughed really hard at the brother. Come on, man. As soon as the brother get in office, now we're trying to get reparations. I've I've seen it, though, with every president, right? Oh, now, now we have this president in office. Education is going to be drastically changed. No child's going to be left behind. Finally, we're going to have the amazing educational system. Or, or, man, this president gets in office. And our jobs are going to, everything's going to change. Everyone who wants a job is going to have a job. If you want a better job, this president's going to get you a better job. You've seen it. We've seen it. It's, it's, we're not like... That was crazy of them to think that once the person that they had followed got in office, that they weren't going to get hooked up. We think that's sometime with our vote. But undoubtedly, they were expecting a political reign, a new political era, a new redemption for the policies of the ways of the world. And we're not really seeing that Jesus was come to usher in a spiritual reign. That while he does care about systemic injustice and things of that nature, that first a spiritual transformation was what he was coming to bring. So what happens to you when when your expectations are not not fulfilled? How do you feel when the thing that you were thinking was going to take place doesn't? I remember when I was like 15, I was in Cleveland and mom said I could go kick it. So me and my homie went downtown, and we, we walking downtown, Tower City, kicking it, and uh, this dude comes up to up on the side of the street, like, hey, got this gold chain, I'll let you get it for $20. So now I'm like, $20? Gold chain? Okay. Let's, let, let's talk. And everybody knows the test for what you do to make sure that a gold chain is real. You pull out the lighter light light the chain up now if it started turning green you know you probably don't have gold you know you probably dealing with a fake substance but if the fire is good on it you got a real chain so he pulls out the lighter lights it up chain looking great all right man here's 20 bucks now right around the corner is the gold store So I'm excited because now I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to get the $20 chain. That $20 chain, I'm going to make $60 off of it because I'm going to run to the store and go sell it. Now we're going to kick it, man. We're going to go shopping. We're going to the movies. We're about to have some fun. And I go into the gold store. Brother looks at me like, why are you trying to sell me a fake chain? Why are you trying to get over on me? And family, family. I went from a high of having hope for everything that I was going to do with this money to a low of feeling like I had just been fooled. I started questioning everything. Was, did a, was that real fire coming out the lighter? <laughs> what, what, what's going on? Did he spray a spray on it around, you know, now everything that I expected to go do with that money was shattered and I was feeling low. You got to enter into the world of these disciples, man. They're now asking, Lord, did we miss it? It's been three days. The body's starting to rot. If he was going to come back, he should have came back right when they pierced, right when they pierced his side. Right when he gave up his 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 last breath, he should have came back then. Maybe day one. Three days? Were, were, were we fooled? Did did, did we have the wrong expectations? Did we misunderstand? I love that, that the Lord kind of meets them where they are and, and sends a testimony. Look in verse 22. Moreover, some women of our, own, of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. Can I ask you a question? If if. If I picked on Hannah last week, I think. If I say to Ken, hey, Ken, man, somebody just broke in your car. And Ken turns and says to Gary, hey, Gary, can you go check out and see if somebody actually broke in my car? What does that say about how Ken viewed my words? Say that again. He ain't trust me. He ain't trust me at all, did he? Do you, do you see the subtle aspect that the women come in, give their testimony about what went down, and then what do the brothers do? They go check it out. And wasn't it just like what the women said? You see, sadly, in this era, in the early days of antiquity, a woman's testimony wasn't even valid a woman's testimony in court wasn't even allowed because women were seen as beneath a man and I love the beauty of our God who one says there's a truth that needs to be said and no matter who would show up this truth is real Jesus is alive but let me show you who I'm going to use to be the first responders the first ones on the scene I'm going to use those who you might even discount their value to show you, no, I see their value and their worth. And they're going to be the first ones on the scene who get a chance to testify to me conquering this tomb. That's real cool. It's a great testimony that these sisters give. And it, it is now sent throughout the rippling effect of these disciples. But then he takes them to the word. Go with me in verse 25. And he said to them, "O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Family, these, these, these men that are walking are foolish. They're foolish because at the end of the day, Jesus is who he said that he is. And even though their situation was crazy and it was drama filled and things are not working out the way they expected, they still should have not doubted Christ. So he pauses for a moment and says, let me open up the scriptures and help you see the fulfillment of the prophecies. Let me open up the scriptures and help you see all that Moses and the prophets have said and how it was fulfilled in Jesus. But family, I'm, 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 uh, it, I want you to look at a couple of places where he says that we're in Luke. All right. So we keep that 24 there. Flip over to 18. In verse 31, he says, uh, somebody read that for me. will yeah, be Amen. Amen. If somebody can flip two chapters forward to 16, still the same verse, 31. Read that one for me. And he said, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So, so, So Jesus is trying to help us see that the story is clear. The history has been made. Prophet after prophet is preparing you to be able to know that this man is the Christ, the Messiah. And yet for some reason, these disciples are there not really able to accept the scriptures. And uh, and I think we can relate. I think there are some times where where your situation can lead you to to not question whether you believe in God, but question whether that scripture really. uh, Whether that scripture can really get you through during this moment, you know, like is is that scripture really uh, applying to this moment? Have you ever read Romans 828 where it says and we know that for those who love God all things work together for good. All things work together for good. Now that's what God's word says. But have you been in some situations where you didn't feel like I know you said all things Lord but is is this is this moment in the all Cause this don't feel like it's working out for my good. This don't feel like the. the how does this going to end for good? But it's crazy, right? That is, it's true. So even as even as our brother and I wish I could have planned this better, but even as Kyle talks about, hey, car got in an accident. Looks like it's totaled. But in it being totaled, it pays off the car and my sister giving me a nicer car. You, 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 see, you, you, you see, like, what? It, it is a true statement. But being in the midst of a trying situation will make you sometimes question, like, but Lord, is, is, it, is, it, is, it, is it applying now? Psalms 55, 22. It says, cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. Cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. Sometimes I feel like, like, like if, I, and I know Ken, you do this, you fish. But sometimes I feel like if, if casting is, you know, you take the reel and you throw it out. Like the fish in the water just throw my stuff back. Like, do I know how to cast right? It keeps coming back. I'm trying to cast, you know, you Lord, you said if I cast this thing, you will sustain me. And and it feels like I'm trying to lift this burden for me and pass it to you because you want it. But it sometimes feels like the burden is still there. Have you been in a situation where, man, it's like I know what God's word says. And family, I'm not I'm not trying to get us to question God's word at all. I'm trying to get us to be able to connect with these disciples who were struggling who were like, "Whoa. I know what you've told me, but yet what I'm seeing and what you've told me, I don't feel like they're adding up. I know I'm supposed to stand on what you've said, but this situation is grabbing my attention and is stealing my focus away, and so I'm sad. And so I'm down, and so I'm in the dumps." But I love this story because it shows that even in their lowest moment, Jesus was with them the whole time, the whole time. And it's crazy that that probably the area that would make them struggle the most. Jesus sees as a strength because in that verse, in verse 26, it says, was it not necessary that Christ should suffer? these things and enter his glory. I was with uh, my life challenge family and, and, and this idea came to me. So, so how many of us in the room uh, have ever thought about working out, might want to work out, or have worked out? Everybody. See that? Uh, that's cool, right? Because if I say how many of us do work out, then we got two people in the room. Like, <laughs> Now, if you, if you work out, and you got a trainer and that trainer says to you, hey, all right, I got some different exercises because I'm about to work you out. I'm about to get you fit. I don't just want you to have a super ankle. I want your whole body tight. So I got a plan for you. All right. And if this is a if this is a, 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 a gospel centered person, let's just say he says, OK, I want you. I want you to take this 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 uh, dumbbell of patience and I just want you to work patience. All right. Now, I want you to go hit the treadmill for a while, and I want you to go go hit the treadmill and, and get on the treadmill and, and, and work on the, the aspect of long suffering. All right. I want you to I want you to be able to do long. So were you just willing to walk with people through some stuff and you just endure with people? But I want you to be on a treadmill and learn that. All right. And I, and I want you to be able to have the push-ups of compassion. So I want you to hit them, them compassion push-ups, compassion push-ups. But what if the trainer now says, I got a road of physical, devastating suffering. That I'm gonna use to work you out. That I'm gonna use to build you up, that I'm gonna use to strengthen you. Can I get the dumbbell? I liked the patience. I I preferred, I preferred the patience option, maybe even hitting the job. And, and what Jesus does here, it says for all of those different aspects that you see as a great part of the, of the Bible regimen, the Bible workout, suffering is one of them. It is actually the one that I'm going to use for me to be able to enter into the fullness of my glory. I bet your disciples didn't think that. I bet you we don't think that when we think about our own lives. How many of us say, God, (laughs) I want to grow and I want to suffer. I readily pray for patience. I readily pray to be able to be compassionate. I don't readily pray for suffering. Jesus used suffering as a means to usher in his glory. Verse 28, so they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened us up to the scriptures? Family, I, I've got to use this moment to help us understand the theological and the practical aspects of communion, Okay. So I want you, if you can, keep your hand in that or keep your program in Luke 24, but we're going to flip to first Corinthians chapter 11 and James, we're going to look at first verse 23, starting there. So if you can flip to 1 Corinthians 11 and we're going to be in 23, but we're going to look at a good amount of this chapter. at communion. Now you find in verses 23 through 26, this aspect of communion mentioned in the gospels. So the theological aspects of communion, they, they take this right from the gospel. It says, uh, in verse 20, verse 23, we're in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, it says, For I received from the Lord what I already also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So family, we have a a very clear uh, command of Jesus to his people saying what I'm going to accomplish on the cross. I never want you to forget. What's going to happen to my body, my blood shed so that you can be forgiven for sins. I never want you to forget. So I want you to do this and do it to remember and place yourself at my feet. What this does is it reminds you that a holy God loves you enough to be sacrificed for your behalf. So do this, do this. Do this, and a brother challenged us some year ago. A brother that's a part of our church body; he's not here today. But he said, "Hey, y'all, if we believe that people are able to experience Christ and be reminded of the forgiveness of their sins, and reminded of Jesus as their Savior and connector back to a holy, loving God that dearly desires them, why are we we offer this once a month? If it's that real and it's that solid." as many other traditions have done, why wouldn't we offer this weekly? So we do. Because we believe in the beauty of this gospel. But in addition to the theological reason, there's also a practical aspect of communion. And it's played out. And we're going to start a little bit back up. So now we're still in 1 Corinthians 11, but I want you to go back up starting in verse 17, because now communion is in the midst of people and people can at times jack some stuff up. So now we got the Lord speaking to people in the midst of saying, I want you to be worshiping me, but sometimes the way you live this thing out doesn't flesh out in the way I desire. So it says, Uh, In verse eight, in verse 17, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe in part for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized when you come together. It's not it is not the Lord's supper that you eat for in eating. Each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry. Another gets drunk. What do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Let's pause. Let me recap what's happening here. So oftentimes, uh, Uh, Like we do in our mat groups, the church would come together and have a meal together or excuse me, church would come together and people would have their own meals. And after a meal, then they would take communion. But what was happening was that some people were coming in and they was getting full, grubbing, grubbing, grubbing. I'm talking about Corral, Golden Corral, buffet grubbing. All right. And yet their brother next to them had nothing. Was sitting next to them hungry. But yet when they could say it's time for us to take communion. They both come up to take communion together. So now what's being addressed is the issue of, hey, if we are one in Christ And you have plenty to the point where you can gorge and be overwhelmed. And this person has none. And somehow you can ignore the hunger in his stomach, but yet come to delight in my body. Something's off. I'm not pleased with that. That's not what brings me worship. And this is a a worshipful time. And so in verse 27, he says, whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. It's crazy that you could think that we could take communion in an unworthy manner. Family, this is, this is a continued reminder not simply to get it right theologically which we must we must approach communion with the right with the right reverence of what Jesus has done for us but also we got to approach communion humble you see see this this is almost speaking of an injustice in the church uh, 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 an economic injustice in the church. You got plenty, I have none, but yet we don't address the issue. You won't help me. And I w- see, I, I, I get Dr. King's passion. I get Dr. King's desire to make sure injustice was not happening all around the world. But one of the places where he was most vocal about the injustice was right here in the church. And I I love this because uh, Dr. King was not passionate about injustice simply because he was a black man. He was passionate about injustice because he was a Christian. And Jesus is passionate about injustice to the point where he says, you could do something that might be the most uh, glorifying thing to me by engaging in communion. But yet if you ignore your brother... You are almost you are almost defaming the very thing I'm calling you to do. So, family, as we as we look at this, as we look at at, at at the at the call in verse 28 to let a person examine himself and then so eat the bread and drink the cup. There's two aspects that have to happen every time we take communion. There's one where we acknowledge a holy God. And what he's done, we examine the beauty of what he's accomplished for us. But then there's another where we are called to examine ourselves. And we say, Lord, how do I come before you? Either needing to repent or either needing to do right by my sister or my brother. It's a recalibration that happens every time we get to come forward and delight in this delight in the, in the communion that's offered. I got running and jumped off my slides, y'all. It's all right. We're going to finish up in a second. But then he does something. He opens their eyes. And it's something about that word of, 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 of opening them up that the scripture just does to you. It, 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 it uh, All right, a little confession time. So before leading this church um, and during my college days and probably every day leading up to college, I was I was a very arrogant guy. And I say before leading this church because I still wrestle with arrogance, but God has worked with me over these years. So I'm not saying I've arrived and I'm perfect now. But uh, so I was an arrogant guy. And uh uh for me I could cloak it well and like hiding it and try to do some service acts and stuff like that. Um if I was if I was a student in your class, I considered it a a privilege for you to have me in your class. Mhm. If you picked me to be on your team, you was a wise dude. That was a good choice. <laughs> you know, it it just it was it was the flow that I had and and if I can be honest, I thought I was a pretty good Christian. And then I read this scripture. Romans three twenty three: All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For some reason, I heard that in the past and the all was for all y'all. But God opened that verse up to me and it rocked me. It was the verse that changed my life forever. I knew that I was in need of a holy God and I was a sinner and that that his love and justification that was given to me by grace. I didn't deserve and I couldn't earn. But it started at I was a brother in need. Do you have a life verse, a verse that 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 when it opened up to you? everything changed man i it, it, uh, i couldn't keep seeing stuff the same here's another one from one second corinthians 4 17 and i know i say it often but it's one it's one of mine that that has affected how i view life and how i do life for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all light and momentary troubles achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all this verse changed how I did life. And y'all know I, I love Max Sports. We've had some amazing leaders, our amazing leader, Ashley. Uh, I've been a Max Sports leader, uh, a coach in U6, probably, I don't know, four times, five times. And I love my kids. But the one thing I get really frustrated in, when my little 4 year olds, my five-year-olds, when they run up to me crying and say, Coach. They took the ball. This is soccer. The other team, their goal is to take the ball. That's what they're going to do. That's part of it. Now, if somebody kicked you in the head, compassion. Come here, baby. I got you. I get frustrated because that's a part of the game, right? Family, a part of our game a part of the life we're living as the people of God is that God has placed a joy within us as his people and Satan wants to steal it. So this, this verse rocked me because now it's like, come on, Lee, you really gonna complain? You really gonna mope? Satan came after you? What you think he was gonna do? How the right perspective? Get your mind in the game. Think eternally. Thinking that way helps you take these bumps and bruises. And, and, and I, I can go on longer. Y'all, you got some life verses. You got some verses that in your heart, when God opened them up, you are not the same as you used to be. If not, my prayer is that you would get into the word. This is what God desires to do in you, in us. This is why discipleship is so important. It's not so that you can be a a replicated Madot or replicated Ken or replicated Hannah. We don't want you to be like us. What we want is for you to get into the word. We want you to have time to read God's word and it open you up. Don't mess with me when you see me out there coaching this fall, all right? This spring, don't mess with me. In verse 33, and they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Family, this, this name Cephas, this, this name is one that's familiar to us. It's one of them, Simon Peter. And if you remember Peter during the week of the Passion, this brother stands out. Now, Peter was the impulsive guy on the team. He was the one that would, you know, do some stuff that was a little, little, I don't know. he liked to push the envelope, mess with his, mess with his Jesus. He might cut your ear off. I'm just saying, Peter was no joke. And Peter has this conversation with Christ. And Christ says to Peter, you'll deny me. You'll deny me not once, not twice, but three times before the rooster crows. And Peter's like, no, no, no. It's Pete, dog. I'm not me. I won't deny you. Not me. And then it happens. Once Twice. Three times. Peter denies him. But then what happens? Jesus dies. He dies. And I've I've been to enough funerals. I've led enough funerals. Even yesterday at my grandmother's funeral. I watch as people wish they could have done more after someone died. You wish you could have had more time to say this, or you wish you could have had more time to enjoy this. But you know what rocks people, what oftentimes devastates people is when you know you've wronged someone and they die. Do you see the state that Peter was in? Can you imagine the emotional weight that this man is feeling after he has labored Loved and sacrificed for Jesus. Yet he denies him three times and doesn't get a chance to make it right. That's the weight that he's that he's experiencing. But what turns Peter around? What what switches Peter's mindset? What what leads him to to change? Did he see a a bumper sticker that said never give up? Did he see a bumper sticker or, or a new phrase that said, just keep on trying. Believe in yourself. First, you don't succeed. Dust yourself off and try again. Yeah, I let Aaliyah slide into the sermon. Mm-hmm. Peter, this man that's feeling this anguish, feeling this weight, feeling this guilt, has it all eliminated When the risen savior reveals himself to Peter. It's wiped away. And me and you are not Peter. God is not going to build the church on us. But he is building a church through us. So your home is the church. This place is the church. And the beauty of this example of Peter is that even though Peter did something that many of us would say he's deemed to wash our hands of, that you can't come back from something like that. He's one of the first people Jesus reveals himself to and says, in essence, you're forgiven. You are forgiven. And we know he's forgiven because how does Peter go on? I mean, yes, he builds the church, you know, he moves on and we see the church advance through this man's missions. I mean, if you look in in Acts two, he's preaching and 3000 people get saved through this brother in one setting. Not to mention a whole bunch of other ways in which this brother sees uh, uh, shares the gospel. He had some issues down the line where Pete Paul had to check him, wasn't perfect, but he was passionate for Christ. Why? Because of the resurrection. Because of the resurrection. So family, if you are wondering, pastor, you said in the beginning that kind of for Dr. King, people get up and go serve. It's an it's a easy correlation of. How do I live in light of something that this man did? Well, how do we live in light of the resurrection? We we get into the word. We allow the scriptures to open us up. We take communion and we examine the aspects that Christ died for every time we take it. We also examine our hearts as we approach this. We want to be right with man. We want to be making sure that we are not perpetrators of injustice. And lastly, we experience the forgiveness that Jesus offers. Family, may we live out these aspects in light of the resurrection. Let's pray. Lord, it's crazy to see the way you use these people two guys whose names we don't even know, all the way up to Peter, maybe one of the names we know the most in all of Christendom. And you showed (laughs) that you are here for everything in between, folks who seem to have no name and folks that seem to be at the top of the chain, and your love extends to them all. We thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, that we get a chance to experience forgiveness, a chance to be experience you in communion, and a chance to be opened up by the beauty of your word. May that be our posture at MacAff. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.